Hi, and welcome to another special episode of What I'm Obsessed With Now, with your friendly host and obsessive, Byron. For our second episode in this UFO interview series, we will hear from Dr. Roger Stankovic. Dr. Stankovic is the National Director of MUFON Australia and New Zealand. You will hear about Roger's academic career and his biology focus really adds to the subject matter. I was really excited to hear from someone with a scientific background and how he uses this in his UFO research. Buckle in and get ready for another amazing conversation. Yep, um, so I did a Bachelor of Science degree um, initially, and then I, um, uh, at Sydney University of Sydney, and um, in those days it was quite a different university. Um, yeah. Very tough, very tough. <laughs> um, it was School <laughs> of Hard Knocks. Um, I've yeah. noticed, I'm actually a teacher right now at TAFE, um, uh, but everything's at everyone's fingertips these days. Like we didn't have Google or anything like that. And when we had to do a computer literature search, it was quite an ordeal, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. Going, going back there, yeah, so science degree first, then I did a PhD in neuroscience um, at Sydney University as well. And then um, so I, did, I worked in a laboratory there for uh, quite some time in the CJD laboratory. Um, so I've got quite a lot of background in pathology, um, in science in general. I teach statistics and mathematics. I, um, I used to teach, well, I t- still teach biology, uh, molecular yep. biology, and I teach um, microscopy and um, uh, biochemistry and a few other subjects. That's my scientific background. So I did a lot of uh, a lot of science in terms of um, uh, I, I, I specialized in neuroscience and I uh, worked with a lot of different equipment in uh, terms of microscopy and um, so I uh, am familiar with electron microscopes I'm familiar with image analysis um, I worked in an image analysis lab for quite some time doing DNA ploidy um, and I looked at um, uh, also flow cytometry so it's, it's all based on pathology techniques and um, I loved astronomy and I wanted to do astrophysics at Sydney University, but um, the professor there laughed at me. Although the interest was there, I was reading books in astrophysics at that stage, and I had had um, purchased books, and I was quite interested. I had a telescope, yeah, and yeah. so I had that background, and I still have this this itch to do it, even at my age now. Um, instead of looking at things under a microscope, I now want to look at things under a telescope. Um, to, to study um, something like ufology, unidentified flying objects, um, you really need uh, a background. I suppose um, it would it'd be advantageous to have a background in image analysis and um, uh, things that uh, you could uh, techniques that you could use to actually uh, analyze photos or videos or something. But it's, that's that's not only uh, that's just not the only thing that you'd need. You'd probably uh, I think the most the most beneficial thing that happened to me when I was doing science is that I, I developed an analytical brain, and I, I, I think mm. I was born with one. But the thing is that I um, it, it, it was um, trained in a way that um, I could be uh, objective about things. In terms of looking at studying um, UFOs and and um, the field, how statistics helped you? Yeah, I think in, in any publication that you want to do in the scientific journal, if it's uh, related to some observation that you're looking at in a, in a hypothesis or in a null hypothesis, 
This is what mm. science is based on. Sampling is what statistics is about. And how do you sample this? You know, like, I mean, yeah. it's not as if it's, you know, like a number of seagulls on a beach and you want to check their wing length. And, you know, like it's it's not like that. It's just that this occurs sporadically and um, it, it can't be quantified in, in that way. You can you can actually map uh, the Earth and find out which country has, like, where, say, for example, we were looking at, in MUFON, we were looking at, um, we just had a meeting a few weeks ago and uh, one of my field investigators said, it would be nice to have a map of um, where the uh, UFOs are being sent, you know, sighted, um, put a little UFO down. It actually already exists. In fact, there's there's a few programs that maps that, that actually do that right now. But um, it's only just telling you where it's like, you know, where the, the sighting was sent. Through my experience, UFOs are sighted uh, where there's a lot of people. Um, so basically, mainly sighted in the summer when people go out, you know, they might be uh, going out for a drink or something or smoke. Um, and they, a lot of a lot of reports I get is that I was going out for a smoke and then, and you know, and I saw this <laughs> yeah, UFO, yeah. you know, at nine o'clock at, or, you know, like at three o'clock in the morning or something, because I just had to have, a, have that smoke, you know, and it's usually around a crowd, you know, like a, a city. So we have a lot of sightings in the city because there's a lot of, there are people there. Some areas in, in the United States, you'll have a, you know, a, like Roswell or Socorro or something like that, you know, or, yeah. or Phoenix, Phoenix is quite a large city, but um, there were, you know, like the Phoenix lights, there was, there was, you know, like, the hundreds of people that saw the Phoenix lights. Um, sure. But you don't get anything like that here, I don't think. And to apply statistics to that, I don't know, um, how do you do that? I mean, basically, you know, as I said before, statistics is sampling. Yeah. Um, it involves continuous and discrete variables. How do you, how do you, you know, counting um, is a discrete variable and continuous is measurement. Um, mm. How do you measure this? How do you count it? Before we go off your... Um kind of your scientific background, um, a question that I kind of ask myself and, and imagine um, is what kind of creature can can travel across um, multiple universe, across the universe, sorry, um, you know, what that would what that would take. Yeah, I've, I've obviously thought about it, <laughs> mm. um, considering I've been studying it for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously, yeah, the, it, obviously the logistics of doing something like this are horrendous. Um, basically, uh, you'd have to have an, a civilization that's at least, you know, a couple of thousand or possibly even a million years ahead of us. Yeah. Um, but if you've got a civilization that is a million years ahead of us, think of what they could possibly do. I mean, they could have a vehicle that actually has gravity on board, so you yeah. won't have to have muscle wasted. You won't have to have uh, wait, uh, uh, your bones won't be brittle when you come back down. That's that's very true. Um, you know, your bones require pressure, weight. Yeah. Otherwise, your osteocytes won't actually lay down bone. So, so it's true, yeah. And but also uh, the distances involved. They may not be intergalactic. They may not be intergalactic. Um, uh, 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 they mm. could be um, uh, uh, within the galaxy, and they could still be, you know, coming to Earth. Um, they could be a few light years away, or you know, several yeah. light years. But they don't necessarily need to be intergalactic. And some of them could be intergalactic. I don't know, but they could be using Wormholes, you know, even physicists these days suggest that you know wormholes are a, uh, are an appropriate. Well, it could could be a, a way to shortcut a way of shortcutting the yeah. distance. We're so far away from that, you know, being able to use a wormhole. But I'm I'm assuming that um, and if you listen to what Rob Lazar is saying, is that you know, like some people have 
have got um, you know some 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 people some uh, planets uh, might have elements which we don't have here. They might have uh, elements which are exotic in the sense that they can actually produce um, anti gravity or something like that. And yeah. um, like 115 unknown pentium. And basically, um, uh, our Earth doesn't have it because um, it wasn't the dust didn't contain it because the supernova that exploded in our region didn't wasn't big enough. And that's perfectly valid, perfectly valid to actually imagine that um, you, you need a supernova explosion from a star that's a certain size to produce certain elements. And if that planet that's formed, you know, in a different galaxy or like, you know, 50 light years from us uh, did happen to uh, be in the general vicinity of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a supernova that exploded, that it could actually gain that dust and that, that heavy metal, uh, yeah. heavy element, sorry. Um, and it could be harvested and used for propulsion methods. Um, and I completely believe uh, that, you know, like what, what Rob Lazar says is, 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 is to a certain degree, you know, interesting. What he says is, is quite fascinating because basically um, when you think about it, um, yeah, it could be well true. He's saying that basically we're stuck. We are stuck because we either have to produce an unpentium to actually use it in our in our cyclotrons and mini cyclotrons on the spacecraft to get yep. us to actually produce an anti-gravity wave so we can travel down the wave. And that's what they do. They're not using the methods that we're using. We're just using force propulsion. That's that's like it. we're using propellers. We're using um, exhausts, you know, uh, that, that are uh, burning petrol uh, or burning some chemical to create thrust. So Going on to what you mentioned before, um, your UFO experience. Um, yeah. Curious to see what that was like. I, I was about was. 16. I think I think I was about 16. I possibly mm. could have been slightly younger, but my parents um, lived on a a, prop, uh, an, a rural property um, out uh, in the suburbs of Sydney. And mm. uh, sorry, in the sorry in like about you know like, like 50 kilometres out from Sydney in from the west. Basically, it was a real property, and they were producers of uh, vegetable produce, and they had we had cattle and whatever. Mm. Um, so um, I, being quite bored usually, <laughs> you know, when <laughs> in your teenage years, it, it's like I'd like to wander down the paddock and and uh, go to the dam and skip rocks over it and whatever. And um, it was getting quite quite dark. It was sort of like, and it was summer, and it was sort of like um, getting um, um, uh, in. Twilight, you know, it was just like uh, getting a bit dark, getting darker, mm -hmm. and I spotted this um, um, light uh, on the corner of my right eye coming from the south, and um, it was just moving slowly, but it was quite bright, and I thought, oh, that's unusual. It could be an airplane, could be something, but it's just one one dot, you know, one yeah. spot, and um, uh, I just like thought, oh, nothing of it, and I just kept on looking at the dam, skipping rocks and whatever. And then it uh, came up and uh, just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it just stopped. And I thought, what the hell is that? You know, like it was sort of like uh, about a quarter the size of, um, well, maybe a quarter, fifth the size of the moon. Um, yep. And it, then it uh, did a little loop-the-loop uh, -loop and, you know, just did this crazy um, manoeuvre. And then it stopped again. And I thought, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> this is really weird. And yeah. I was getting quite quite uh, scared by it, you know, and um, then it just um, did a complete, like a, just a 
a complete fall, really quick fall onto the ground and lit the whole hill up. And I thought, I've got to get out of here. Um, mm. And I just ran home. So it was just a, it was just a really quick um, thing that happened. I didn't actually see a spaceship. I didn't see aliens. I didn't see anything. It was just this light that behaved very, very bizarrely. And um, it uh, scared the hell out of me because I still, like, thought, no, I, I, I was a complete non-believer in UFOs mm. at that age. In fact, I had a quite a scientific sort of mind, you know, and at that age I was quite analytical and everything, and I, I, uh, I thought UFOs were just absolute rubbish, you know. And, and um, I, um, after that experience, I just ran into the house and said to my parents, I said, I just saw, uh, you know, I called it, I think I called it a UFO. I think I did, because I knew what UFOs were. Mm. And I said, I just saw a UFO. And um, and I was panting, you know, and sweating, and <laughs> and then my sister, my older sister, remembered the day, you know, like and us, and I said, do you remember that? And she says, Yeah, I do. She says, You were petrified. And I said, Well, yeah, because this thing was after me. <laughs> I felt yeah. like it was sort of like communicating with me telepathically because I sort of like said, You're not an alien spacecraft to it, and it said. Uh, let me show you something. And then it just like did what it did. You know, I just, I thought, oh my God, this thing's after me. It's going to land and it's going to abduct me or whatever. I don't know. Um, but strange thing is, is that I was always quite frightened of things in outer space. And as a child, I used to have panic attacks. Even if I saw something on TV that was related to a, um, a science fiction movie, yeah, I had these panic attacks during the day. I don't know what they were. And they weren't mm. like classic panic attacks videos heavy breathing and you know, like you're thinking you're going to die. It's a, like a disconnection where I'm thinking, oh, there's something going on and it's wrong and don't think I'm mad. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I just, and then I panic and I'd be thinking, is that related to something? You know, is it related to something that I've experienced that I'm not conscious of? I don't know. When I saw this UFO, it really, uh, yeah, it was quite bizarre, the way it actually manoeuvred itself. It was quite a large, like it was very, very obvious in the sky. Uh, much, it didn't behave like a plane at all, didn't behave like a meteorite, didn't behave like a helicopter, didn't be, there were no drones in those days. It wasn't space junk, um, wasn't a rocket, wasn't uh, anything. Um, Did you see it take off again? No, I, I turned and ran like hell. And I was yeah. really frightened to just turn around and look at it. But that's a good question. Uh, I was so frightened to even, like, I, I didn't even want to look. I even closed my ears. I thought, no, I'm not going to hear it. I just gonna, I just took off. And boy, I was, I was a really fast runner. You know, I was, I was at home within seconds. You know, it was just, mm. and I had to, I think I had to run ooh, probably about 500 metres. So mm. in your research since that experience has, have you heard other stories that that sound similar that kind of rang a bell and, and just down of... just down the road um someone yep. else in the in the same town that i lived in um yep. had a ufo experience in the 90s and uh, the late 90s and they saw a craft that actually and this was this was reported to us uh, at mufon um had saw and this is uh, multiple witnesses so his parents saw it he saw it and his sister saw it uh go over the house quite a massive metallic uh, flat saucer shaped UFO go over the house. This mm. is at nighttime. Uh, so this guy was about to go to bed and um, he felt really, really tired. 
And he says, that's unusual, you know, I'm nine o'clock, I shouldn't be going to bed now, but he, he felt really, really tired. Anyway, he, um, his parents were still up watching TV and his sister was, um, I think, in her bed. And um, he um, had this urge to then um, look out the window. And when he looked out the window towards the east, out of his bedroom window, um, he saw this great big metallic object with um, lights on the bottom. And he just rushed out and he felt, you know, rubbed his eyes and thought, what the hell? And looked, went back down and looked again and said, it's real. And yeah. so he ran out to his parents and said, look, you've got to have a look at this. This is ridiculous. There's some, like a craft outside. And it's just over the house. So his father went out and actually saw it. His mother went out, actually saw it. And she says, hang, hang a minute, let me get the camera. So she went back in to try and take a photograph. And there was no film in the camera. But so there were a lot of, the, like, there's people that confirmed what he'd seen. Uh, the area is a little bit of a hotspot, I guess, for UFOs. Uh, there's a place called Bent's Basin, which is a bit further out near Warragamba Dam. Um, there's been UFO sightings there. There's actually been an, um, a creature sawn out there, uh, seen out there. I don't know. Um, people, you know, like, have said things. I don't know. Um, mm. But, you know, it's, it's sort of like a bit of a weird place, I suppose. You mentioned that you mentioned that the um, the person's mother went out, went to take a photo and there was no... Um, no film in the camera. No yeah. film in the camera. That half the luck. Hey, um, is there? Have there been more uh, photo, photographic evidence um, since you know uh, there's a camera in your pocket, pretty much all the time? Oh are, yes, are we, are I think there has been, and you'll you'll hear the debunkers say, you know, like you know, we've all got smartphones, and so why aren't there? There are there are a lot of UFO photos. I'd like mm. to tell them in this podcast. Mm. If they're listening, um, there are a lot more photos being taken because a lot of them on and I get so annoyed when I look at um, these documentaries that are coming up on History Channel and whatever. They're saying, oh, well, you know, with, with the advent of, of smartphones, we should be getting more UFO photos. And guess what? We are. That's really interesting. And, and just for just for people who are interested or anyone that has experienced it, what's the best way to for them to share that with you? Well, there's there's a database that they can go to. If you go report a UFO, uh, MUFON report a UFO, um, you can go onto the general website and, that, yeah, and then you can put your country in and then just put Australia in or New Zealand or whatever. And yep. um, and then that report will come to me and then I can allocate it to one of my field investigators or myself. Yep. Well, when we're trying to, when we're looking at a UFO, it just means it's an unidentified thing in the sky, whether it's in the night sky or the day sky. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is that what we're trying to do is actually trying to identify it. So that's what we try to do. And if we can't identify it, then it's an unknown, what we call the UFO or an unknown. So it remains an unknown until we can identify it. Now, if we can identify it as a spacecraft that's not built on Earth, that's Mm -hmm. when it becomes interesting. When we get, when we get a, say for example, a photo or a video, I ask questions to the, the, the witness. I say, look, um, what time was it seen? What day was it seen? Um, can you take a photograph of the actual, if they haven't taken a photograph, can you take a photograph of where you saw it in the sky with some background, you know, like on a trees, hills, etc. Um, and that's really valuable as well, because it gives me an idea of actually where they saw that UFO, even though it's not in there. You know, that's, that's a benefit as well, because there Absolutely. might be something there. Then I, I, I look at where they are located. I look at where they seen, they saw the UFO. Um, I look at a lot of different data. I look at aircraft that are traveling through that area. 
Um, I, I've got some. I've got a lot of apps that I use. Um, I look at whether there's a satellite there. Um, I might look at real-time satellite images. Um, I can look at stuff in space, whether there's a, um, you know, a bit of junk uh, space, a, a piece of junk, uh, um, uh, space junk that's uh, coming to, into, uh, in, uh, in through the orbit. Um, yeah. I can look at flight, flight radar 24 to see if there's any planes uh, that have um, transponders that are in that area at the time. Um, I can look at historical data. Um, and try and eliminate everything. So you're starting from a from a point of we don't know what it is. Let's prove what it is um, yeah, versus right. starting with a conclusion. Usually, I'm very very skeptical. I try to be skeptical, um, but not. I'm not a debunker or anything. I'm just mm. trying to because if we if we happen to get somebody that sent us something and they as a hoax and then we call it an unknown, mm. that they, they could just go to some and you know, like just put it on the internet and say. Oh, these MUFON idiots have, you know, like I did this deliberate hoax and they called it a, an unknown. We, we need to uh, confirm that this is an IFO, if it is an IFO, which is a, an IFO is an identified flying object. Okay. So um, yeah. if, if it is, you know, if, if it is genuinely a bird or, or something, except people just take photographs and they look at them and later and say, oh, I didn't see that when I was looking. That's a, that's a red flag to me. Okay. Yeah. Usually, or it could be lens flare, it could be anything. And usually, when someone doesn't see something, they've taken a photograph. They don't. They haven't seen anything, but they see it in the photograph. Is a red flag to me that there's. It's probably, you know, an IFO. Moving on to something that's blown my mind when I was when I was looking at you, you know UFOs again. That that really I I can't I can't explain it. I wish someone could. Is the release. Um, of the 2017 from the U.S. Navy, um, it's a couple of clips of something flying through the sky in a very odd way. Well, um, just to start off with, yes, I, I have seen it, and I've sort of like tracked it since it happened, like sort of a couple of months after it happened, when it, that mm. publication came out in um, the New York Times, where um, um, I forgot her name now. Um, there was a UFO researcher that teamed up with a couple of people and. And um, she knew she's a journalist, um, yep. but she's also very much a, um, like George Knapp. Um, so um, I, I, I still have tracked it since then. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think obviously they're, they're um, legitimate. So it's, it's gun camera footage. Obviously, um, you've got testimony from the actual eyewitnesses. Yeah. So basically, um, you've got you've got uh, his his. Um, uh, the, the passenger in the plane with him. So you've got those witnesses that have seen it, um, uh, and they didn't take footage of it. But the the next guy that you know when they came back onto the Nimitz, um, they mentioned it, and basically then they sent somebody else out to actually take the actual gun, gun camera footage, and he did. And that's what you see in that in that um, in that video. It's been analysed by by several experts, and uh, it's it's unknown. So it's definitely, and even the Pentagon has said. So you don't even have to analyse it because the Pentagon's, you know, Pentagon's actually said uh, uh, they're unknowns. So why bother analysing it? You know, yeah. when the Pentagon says that we don't know what the hell they are, um, you know, um, uh, that's you know, like if they don't know, you know, they must have done a lot of research on it. You can see how it's actually going to the left at high rate of knots. And um, it's it's a hot object, but it's got no trail. It's got no 
no uh, uh, wings. It's got, it, how does it stay up there? Um, it can actually hover. It can actually go at the, you know, like uh, Mac 5 or even faster. Um, yeah. When Kevin Day was looking at them uh, with his um, uh, radar system, he was saying that they were just dropping from 80,000 feet to, you know, like about uh, 10 feet above sea level within seconds. He says, how can that possibly be possible? Yeah, it's it's definitely quite um, quite bizarre, and it's it's interesting because um, uh, nothing as 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 solid evidence as that has ever been. There's a there's kind of the idea out there that um, the government, whether it's the U.S. government or governments across the world, um, they they're trying they know something and they're trying to hide it. Why wouldn't they just delete this video? I don't know why they let it go. I mean, I. I um, I think it could have leaked before they had a chance. I know it was on the internet way before um, it was actually leaked in 2017. Uh, somebody had it on a website on a YouTube video and people just saw it and said, oh, you know, what is that, you know? Um, I don't know what year it was, but I know that there was a, probably a German video uh, on YouTube or something like that that okay. had the Nimitz. Um, so it happened in 2004. Or when people discuss UFOs, um, what they're really saying or usually saying is something coming from outside of our planet. What have you seen that's the best evidence for that? There's been a few reports like that where we've called them unknowns because we just can't figure out what on earth is going on, but there's not enough evidence. It's it's sort of like this, you're in this vague zone where you can't actually um, prove it but you, you, you know that it's highly unusual and it shouldn't really be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't know until you see it. Yeah. I mean, if we all had a, something physical and, and that apparently something physical does exist, but the thing is that no one has access to it. And uh, Harry Reid was saying that, you know, there is evidence. There's actual physical evidence. And, and Bob Bigelow will tell you, you know, he's, he's, um, he's got that great big hangar that he's built. He's, he's built the, an enormous hangar. And he's got evidence in, in turn, I don't know what sort of evidence he actually does have, but it's, it could be evidence of, of, of stuff that's come off UFOs. Um, it, it, and it has to be kept in a special way. Like you, you can't just have it in a normal, um, like there has to be something that special has to be built to actually house the material. That's what I got told, what, you know, what I read. Um, sure. So, um, you know, um, that there apparently is physical evidence in terms of material. And when you look at the material, it's not, you can actually prove that it's not man-made. So it's called metamaterials. They've got, it's got layers of, of a particular element of a particular thickness, and it's layered in a particular way that cannot occur naturally. And some of the isotopes of that of those metals uh, did not originate on Earth. One area that I'm really interested in um, is the UFO, um, I guess, community, and then experiences uh, in Australia. Okay, the UFO community in Australia is very fragmented. Um, we've got MUFON, and we've got um, several other, like we've got a Victorian group, we've got a New South Wales group, which I've talked at their meetings. Uh, the UFO UFO research group of New South Wales. Um, I quite like them. They like me. Um, but there was a lot of animosity between all the different groups. I don't know why. I think we should all be pitching in together. But 
you know, everybody considers data as very, you know, like very rare and very important. And, you know, um, so uh, it's very fragmented. Um, we should, and I said to them before, I said we should be joining forces and, and so like, you know, um, we should be, um, you know, fighting against the debunkers, not amongst mm. ourselves. So we've got some independent researchers that we used to yep. be in MUFON and um, they're independent, they, they, they're independent and a lot of people know them. Uh, mm -hmm. They're well known and um, uh, if somebody's got a UFO case of highly important cell, they'll send the case to them um, and uh, they'll investigate it, but they're not actively involved in investigating UFOs. Um, uh, there's there's one researcher that's, that's, that's highly involved in, in doing a blog every Every weekend, um, he keeps up to date with things that are going on overseas and not so much Australia. But um, it's it's about the the Nimitz and the Roosevelt stuff that's been happening recently, and he he's investigating quite a bit of information there. Are there a lot of um, a lot of sightings in Australia? We get a lot of sightings because um, yeah, I don't know exactly. I don't know why, but we've got. We've got a very small population compared to the United States. Uh, there was an inter interesting case that happened um, where uh, an object hit a car and killed the driver, and it was uh, an object that was possibly an unidentified flying object. It flew out of the back of the car and it was never found. Um, 400 hours of police searching, not, couldn't find the object. Um, so it actually went through the windscreen, hit the driver, exited out the back of the window, never found. People are very sensitive about this stuff, and I don't know why. I mean, I, I, we're, we're all in it together, and we just need to collaborate. I mean, uh, I don't, I don't understand. The most credible one, one that that really stands out to you, that's been seen in Australia. Oh, well, talk about Frederick Valentich. We actually yeah. found a witness in 1980. Um, there was a young pilot called Frederick Valentich who um, uh, was uh, uh, flying a, a twin-engine plane. Uh, from Australia to uh, across uh, Bass Strait um, to Tasmania, um, to King Island, I think, sorry. Um, and basically he took off and, and uh, said, he radioed into um, uh, the, um, back, back to uh, the airport that he was being uh, tra tracked by an object that was above him and he didn't know what it was. And yeah. he, he said that it could be uh, some UFO or something. And um, basically, um, the transmission was, was cut off um, and they don't know whether the plane was ditched or whether the, craft, the actual craft took the entire plane because his plane was never found and his body was never found. Wow. So he was actually tracked by a UFO. The plane disappeared and he disappeared never got to King Island. And um, that happened in 1980, so there's a long time since that's happened and his body's never been found. His plane's, not even the fragment of his plane's been found. Um, so he was actually uh, talking on on the, the, the radio, on the CB radio to say that, you know, there's, there's something above me. Um, but I know that there was a, a lady who I interviewed um, who at the time, a couple of days before that incident happened, said that she was, um, uh, w working as a, as a younger lady, she'd been in her 50s or 60s now, um, uh, said that she was actually um, in a taxi with um, some co-workers going back home uh, from Alcoa, uh, which was, a, it's closed down now, but it was a, an aluminium um, smelt, um, yep. smeltering, I think, 
factory. Um, and she, uh, uh, because she worked night shift, um, the company actually hired taxis to take her back home. And she was with uh, three or four other passengers and in the taxi. And um, apparently the taxi had encountered a UFO on the way back home. And it was tracking the taxi and causing trouble with the, the headlights. And the taxi driver was looking outside, wondering what the hell it was. And then yeah. all the passengers were quite petrified, didn't know what was going on. And um, she was, the taxi driver stopped and um, uh, her, this lady, uh, sorry, he, he let it go at her place. So the, the, this thing was, you know, like a diamond shaped object, which was above the taxi. And it was like, just, you know, like tracking the taxi and yeah. the taxi couldn't, taxi couldn't shrug it, you know. So basically, um, she then sort of like was petrified, went inside the house and told her husband and um, um, I don't know, she, he, he didn't go out and says, I'll just shut up and go to sleep, you know, <laughs> uh, but um, she, um, yeah, experienced and, and, and basically um, uh, it, it really frightened her. I've always, I've always liked to think of, of these things as um, they're some sort of scientific endeavor. They're trying to learn something about us, but just oh, who knows? ominously um, following us is, is a bit strange. Any, any ideas of well, why? Um, or do you have any, I, I any think theories? That, yeah, I, it's hard to say because I mean, you're talking about an other intelligent life form. Um, mm. Certainly they would be interested in us. Now people say, well, you know, some of the Damankas like need their heads examined. They're saying, well, why would they come down to Earth and visit us? You know, we're just, it's amazing to find life in the universe. Hello. Absolutely. You know, it's even like we get, we, we get, you know, like front page news if we find bacteria on Mars, you know, and, and here, here are the debunkers saying, well, why would they want to come to Earth to visit us? You know, why would they spend, like, spend all that energy to come and see us? What the hell, you know, it's ridiculous. That is such a ridiculous statement. Yeah. You know, we are you a unique form of life that's evolved on Earth, right? We have special conditions on Earth. There are many different planets that can probably support life that yeah. are unique. And to actually understand how life evolves on other planets under different conditions is a major, major, you know, knowledge gaining. Absolutely. Uh, you know, activity that an I mean, intelligent life would want to want to gather because um you know like we're, we're, we're obviously going to be slightly different to them we're going to be different but we're not yeah. going to be radically different because if you look at um if you look at the planets right mm. every planet's different but it's all of them around you know yeah they're all round they've all got dirt on them unless it's sort of like they're frozen over or if you're jupiter you know, you're gaseous, so you can't, you know, sustain life. But the rocky planets are all going to be rocky planets. Mm. They're all going to no, be a certain a distance away from the sun, their sun. They could be living in a solar system with a double star system. So they're going to get an unusual sunrises and sunsets and combinations and permutations of different, you know. Um, and and, and the, uh, the creatures are going to have to adapt to that. I reckon that the anthropomorphic form is or could be, you know, one of the key intelligent life uh, body forms that, that is out there. And the debunkers are going to say, again, 
you know, why does it have to look like a human? Well, maybe that's exactly what's required for an organism that's intelligent to actually carry out, you know, what it needs to do to actually form a civilization, oh, yeah. and, you know, what that sort of body form. Last question from me. What's one question that you wish you got asked in interviews? So I, I, I really wanted to talk about the anthropomorphic form of aliens okay. and how, um, you know, like why, and I was going to write an essay about it to move on, um, but I'd never got around to it. But it's, it's interesting because one of the questions was, um, you know, like, um, is the anthropomorphic form a, you know, a possibility for alien, you know, for evolution to create um, these, uh, you know, intelligent creatures should all be anthropomorphic or some in like variation of that, but it, they, not, they won't necessarily be like science fiction portrays them to be yeah. creatures which are highly different. Also, like so, uh, just an analogy, um, we, we have um, obviously creatures here in, in Australia which um, evolve separately to, to ones in America and whatever, mm. uh, animals. And you could just look at animals and say and see how, um, you know, even though kangaroos are sort of like an equivalent of antelope in North America or whatever, um, they're very similar, but uh, yeah. they've evolved slightly differently. But if you look at the head of a kangaroo, you could stick it onto an antelope's body and it, it look, wouldn't look completely passable. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And it, it's just it's like that. It's just that, you know, um, uh, I think that um, you, you wouldn't look, try to look too far away, try to stray too far away. I mean, that when you, when you look at that, when you look at it, um, carbon and oxygen exist everywhere in the universe. And the basic elements that are here on Earth are also on other planets in other solar systems and in other galaxies across the universe. So the basic building blocks are, are is the only thing that we can work off. And if life's evolved on Earth the way it has, we know what the previous creatures looked like. There were dinosaurs, there were all sorts of other creatures. We know what they looked like. But there was nothing that was extremely bizarre that was intelligent. That you have to have, uh, you know, nature is going to, the same fundamental forces of evolution are going to actually be working on other planets in exactly the same way as it has on Earth. It's made with slight variations. So, yeah, you know, that, but the basic it, rules. The basic, basic rules are there. Change. It's just like physics. Things are out there. And so um, if, if we're not going to be exactly the same, it's going to be variations, obviously. Obviously, you yeah. know, Mars yeah. looks quite different yeah. Venus. And, you know, there's obviously habitable planets. But the habitable, habitable planets, uh, and I reckon they'll all have water. There will not be a single planet out there that's going to evolve life without water. I reckon that's an absolute essential. Thank you for joining me on another special interview episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Roger and all he had to say. I particularly enjoyed hearing about the possibilities for the biology of aliens and the scientific way investigations are done. A big thank you to Dr. Roger Stankovic for his time. He was kind enough to interview with me in between academic duties. To catch all the future episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcasting app, Leave a rating for the show to grow our obsessive community. Follow the socials and join your fellow obsessives. Links in the show notes. Written, produced and edited by Byron Gatt for Pinchicus Media. Sound designed by Lillian Fred. They designed the barking, I edited out. 
check out the full credits in the show notes and how to get in touch. Theme music by mixkit.co. Mm-hmm.